I'm Dr. Mack, a licensed psychologist, and just as my understanding of your interests has evolved, so has this podcast. The entire purpose of me starting this podcast was to bridge the gap between all these experts in different fields conducting this amazing research and actually delivering that to you. So we get to do a deep dive on all this really interesting information while also correcting a lot of misconceptions and misinformation that occurs on social media. This is Revealing the Ivory Tower podcast. Happy Wednesday, listeners. It is a holiday week this week, so I'm actually taking a break and practicing what I preach for once, and I'm not releasing a full episode this week, but I did ask my followers on Instagram what they would like in a shorter, just solo episode that, you know, you can play in the background while you're running errands this week, hanging out with whoever, maybe you're cooking something, whatever you're doing. And of course, because all of you are very spicy, which is probably why you like Spicy Thursday. If you don't follow me on Instagram, Spicy Thursday is something that I live for. It is my life's work, I think, at this point. And so everyone mostly picked unpopular mental health takes. So I should not be surprised here. So I'm just going to kind of rattle through some of these. Now, some of these are a little, meh. Some of them are a little spicier. I don't know if all of them are technically unpopular, like from a statistical standpoint. I don't know how many people actually endorse them or not endorse them, but some of them are definitely hot takes and some of them are a little heavy and we're going to take some deep breaths and it's going to be okay. So let's get started. Number one, cognitive behavioral therapy is very overrated. And I'm saying this as a former stan of cognitive behavioral therapy when I was a baby master's student. And there are a few reasons for this. Number one, that it focuses on our thoughts and our behaviors. And like many of our therapies, it really just focuses on like internally what's going on with us. It doesn't take into account external things going on. For example, a pandemic or different social or political events that do tend to affect our mental health. Doesn't really just inherently address that. Now, if you're a skilled therapist, of course you can address that, but just by itself, it doesn't really do that. And the reason that I loved cognitive behavioral therapy is also the same reason I have a gripe with it now is because any technique, heavy therapy like that, where it's not very process oriented, where, or experiential, if you will, it's very focused on learning different strategies. I, as the therapist, can get away with being robotic. I don't have to be in touch with my emotions. And that is 100% the reason that I liked it in my master's program. It's because I wasn't ready to sit with my emotions. And this allowed me to avoid that. And I think that that's kind of a problem when we think about therapy, if we're being honest. Similarly, the reason why it's so effective is according to the research. Do I actually think it's that effective all the time? Absolutely not. But they're really good at marketing it and because they've used randomized control trials. Now, I'm sure some of you, maybe most of you have heard my little rant in my soapbox about randomized control trials, so I will keep it short. Randomized control trials, you probably heard a bit more in medicine where we want to know if an antibiotic, for example, works with a very specific bacterium. One therapy would try to do the same thing. So you have a control group and then you have an experimental group. Now, Therapy is not medicine. I think we've tried to align ourselves with them to try to prove our worth, but we're, we're not medicine. We're not an antibiotic. 
And any choice we make in research, I promise I will not make this too boring, we sacrifice something else. So for cognitive behavioral therapy, we want to exert a lot of control over the study. I want to know that only cognitive behavioral therapy helps only depression. But does that actually translate to real life? The higher control that we have over a different whatever research study, well, then it's becoming less and less realistic. Now, um, if we go too far on the other end, well, then I don't know for sure if cognitive behavioral therapy works only for depression. And that particular thing we want to know. It gets a little muddy. It is a very tricky thing. And it's inevitable we have to make these choices in research. However, we need to do a better job of acknowledging the limitations of that. Because I got to tell you, if any therapist told me that I should do cognitive behavioral therapy for chronic pain, I will absolutely throat punch them. No, it's not It's not happening for me. Number two. Similarly, I guess, if we stick to one or two theories, that is kind of a problem. It's kind of like if I am investigating some kind of true crime scene and I am trying to figure out what happened here. If I come in and I've already decided in my mind, I already have the theory, then I'm going to try to fit the evidence to my theory. Now, I mean, that might be accurate, but then that also means it's like really prone to error because I could filter out things that don't fit. I could try to force something into this box that doesn't fit. Same thing here. So if a therapist, even if they're specialized, for example, there's still multiple therapies you can do. Trauma therapies, for example, if a therapist specializes in trauma therapy, there are a lot of different options. But to give you an example, when I was seeking therapy two years ago, one year ago, I was hesitant about this particular therapist. I did not like how loose her boundaries were. It was very weird. And She kept pushing me into EMDR because that was actually the only thing that she was trained in. After I told her, no, I know what I need. It's not EMDR. It's not a good fit for me right now, but thank you. And then on top of that, I hopped into her Zoom link a few minutes early because I want to be ready for my first session. And the client was still in there and she didn't have the waiting room enabled. So yeah, do with that what you will. Are those two things correlated? I don't know, but I'll leave that up to you. The next one, deep breath, everyone. We're going to deep breathe. And Brene Brown is very overrated. I'm just, I have to say it. I mean, I can appreciate the conversations that she has created surrounding shame, surrounding mental health, to being vulnerable. But it often comes from a pretty privileged place. And a lot of it is not necessarily anything new. So I'm... I'm going to leave that there. We also tend to stick in our bubbles and we don't branch out. So in my PhD program and like my master's program too, but definitely my PhD program, we had to take things like social psychology, which is not, not my field, emotion and cognition. We had to take classes that were mixed with students from entirely other fields or programs, which was great. It was cool. We got new perspectives. At the time, I thought this is awful. I just want to be done. And now reflecting back on it, no, like we need to know some of this, but it was required as a whole class, just as a checkbox to be completed because it's required. And it wasn't necessarily meaningful. I didn't encode a lot of that into memory. But now when I'm on Twitter 
And I see social psychologists, political psychologists. I see physicians, for example, all these people posting new research. Rest in peace, Twitter. I know it hasn't happened yet, but that's actually going to be a loss for me. Spicy Thursday content and this research that's actually very helpful. For example, have you ever heard of collective effervescence? It is a really fancy word that basically describes that phenomenon, that feeling that we get when we're in kind of a group setting. And it's kind of this just beyond us. We feel connected to everyone there. So it has been referred to, for example, church services. But if you've ever been to a concert and you get like kind of that sense of bonding with everyone else, that sense of connection that kind of is really difficult to describe, that's collective effervescence. I mean, I feel like that could be really helpful for therapy, but we don't talk about that enough because we stay in our bubbles. Also, we would seriously benefit from ongoing consultation and supervision. I know it is ridiculous that we are required to do the hours that we are required to for supervision. It gets ridiculous, but we definitely need ongoing consultation and supervision. We get comfortable sometimes. I caught myself doing it the other day and it's really beneficial, especially if you tend to use more therapies that are more kind of experiential in nature or process-based Or if we have what we call counter transference, when we have our own emotions toward a client that comes in the room, we need to get consultation for that. I feel like that shouldn't be an unpopular opinion, but I've definitely seen that a lot of people don't agree with that, that we should be done as soon as we get licensed. Okay, next one, deep breath. I know recently we've talked a lot about mass violence and especially when kids are involved, there is a gravitation toward suspending the kid that shows signs of potentially being violent. That probably seems like a reflex. We suspend the kid, we expel the kid. The problem is, is that the more that we do that, there's already dehumanizing happening with this kid toward the other kids there or teachers or whoever. And so the more we remove them from an environment or we send them home and now they're not around anyone, they can create even more emotional distance. And I mean, God knows they're potentially on these threads or these like message boards where people have similar thought patterns and they're encouraging it. And so I'm going to leave that one there. Please refer back to my episodes with Dr. Lida from this season if you haven't yet. Um, It's really helpful. It's a little raw right now, so put it on the back burner for later. Another thing that I've seen recently is people saying that you don't need therapy. You need a revolution. And i got to tell you that therapy can be used for liberation. Therapy can be used to facilitate that process, start that process, and it can be used to start a revolution. we got all kinds of ways to do that. Liberation psychology is an amazing route to go here. Using different ways to advocate, helping our clients advocate for themselves, figure out where they fit in this picture. So I'm just throwing that out there, everyone. Like therapy actually can be used for that. And you're in a space where you can process when it gets really heavy, um, brainstorming ideas. So I'm just, I'm putting a plug in there that that can happen. Okay. We also, therapists, uh, but everyone As much as I call out Taylor Griff's, aka influencers that really just spread misinformation, 
there's a reason why they're so effective. Yes, of course, they use really kind of manipulative marketing tactics, but we have to acknowledge that we have not done an amazing job sometimes in this field. And if it's anything like the therapist that I just described a few minutes ago, we can maybe understand that they haven't had a great experience. There are a lot of therapists that I know and including myself, where if I have a friend that's looking for therapy, I have only a few people I'm probably going to refer them to, if we're being honest. Like, we, we, need, we need to own that. Also, the cost of therapy. We need to own that that's definitely a barrier. We are aware of that. Now, for everyone, therapists are not the answer to fixing this problem, just like our physicians are not an answer to fixing our shitty healthcare system. Okay, so when we get pit against each other like this, it is a great diversion from insurance companies that are actually doing a horrible job at reimbursing. Well, I mean, they're doing a great job at not reimbursing is what I should be saying. Also, we gatekeep in ways that don't really matter. They're not meaningful. For example, the cost to becoming a therapist is asinine. It is absolutely ridiculous. And it's prohibitive for people that can't afford it or it's delayed and takes longer to get licensure. Test scores that we know. I mean, literally in my licensure test as a psychologist, there is a whole section on how these standardized exams tend to not even really measure what they're supposed to be measuring, including that one. And yet I had to pay $600 to take it. The irony was infuriating. And they tend to produce a lot of racial disparities there. And so we gatekeep in ways that absolutely don't matter, but then we don't gatekeep in ways that absolutely do matter. That therapist that I had that was really shitty, how was this person able to graduate and practice? There are lots of therapists that I see on social media now, and I'm like, how did you make it through, even though I already know the answer? There is no gatekeeping. Programs throw that on internship sites, for example. They want to get that person through. They don't want any problems. They don't want, it all comes back to legal issues. They don't want the liability. We need everything to be incredibly measurable. The problem is, is a lot of the things that we pick up on that are red flags are not always measurable and they're kind of subjective or gut feeling. We're picking up on something, but how do you quantify that? And so that's what happens is we get not great therapists that kind of just go through If any therapist is listening, actually, you can ask any therapist that you know, and I will even post a question if you want me to. How many therapists know people in their programs that absolutely should not have graduated? And I'm not just talking about, oh, like they're not ready yet. Maybe they need more skills or maybe they need a little more time. Maybe they need more supervision. Maybe we're not addressing their own needs. No, I'm talking about people that are absolutely a horrible fit for the field. We all know people, and I will die on that hill, I think. And so these are your potentially unpopular mental health takes. There are many more. These are the ones that I thought of off the top of my head. There have been many that have happened in my episodes. And so feel free to catch up on them later. And in the meantime, I hope that everyone has a restful week. And in two weeks, the next full episode will be released. And I just want everyone to know that you're going to enjoy it because it is about animals.